Chapter 29 of the Wyvern Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The Wyvern Mystery by Joseph Sheraton Lafano. Chapter 29 Tom is Ordered Up. When she reached the foot of the stairs that leads to the gallery, on which the room occupied by Alice opens, instead of pursuing her way to the kitchen, she turned into a narrow and dark passage that is hemmed in on the side opposite to the wall by the ascending staircase. The shadows of the banisters on the panelled oak flew after one another in sudden chase as the old woman glided by, and looking up and back she stopped at the door of a small room constructed as we see in similar old houses under the stairs on the panel of this she struck a muffled summons with her fist and on the third or fourth the startled voice of tom demanded roughly from within what's that hish said the old woman through a bit of the open door tis mrs tarnley only me lark woman ye did take a rise out of me i thought ye was i don't know what i was a dreamin i think Never mind, you must be awake for an hour or so, said Mrs. Tarnley, entering the den without more ceremony. Tom didn't mind Mrs. Tarnley, nor Mrs. Tarnley Tom. A rush. She set the candle on the tiled floor. Tom was sitting in his shirt on the side of his settle bed, with his hands on his knees. Ye must get on your things, Tom. If it ever you stirred yourself, be alive now. The masters are comin', and may be here across Cressley Common in half an hour, or might be in five minutes, and ye must go out a bit and meet him. And are ye awake? Starin', go on. You'll tell him just this, the big woman as lives at Hoxton. Hoxton? Well? That Master Harry has all the trouble we has come here angry in search of Master Harry. Mind and is in the bedroom over the hall door. Will you mind all that now? Aye, said Tom, and repeated it. Well, he'll know better whether it's best for him to come on or turn back. But if come on, he will. Let him come in at the kitchen door, mind, and you go that way too. And he'll find neither bolt nor bar but open doors, and nothing but the latch between him and the kitchen, and me sitting by the fire. But don't you clap a door, nor tread heavy, but remember there's a sharp pair of ears that'd hear a cricket through the three walls of Carwell Grange. She took up the candle and herself listened for a moment at the door, and again turned her earnest and sinister face on Tom. And again I say, Tom, if ever ye was quick, be quick now. As she clapped her lean hand down on his shoulder with a sort of fierce shake, and if ever ye trod soft, go softly now, mind. Tom, who was scratching his head and staring in her face, nodded. And mind you, the kitchen way. And afraid of slips, say the message over again to me. This he did glibly enough. Here, light your candle from this. And if ye fail your master now, never call yourself man again. Having thus charged him, she went softly from this nook with its slanting roof and 
thinking of the thankless world and all the trouble her old bones and brain were put to she lost her temper at the foot of the great staircase and was near turning back again to the kitchen or perhaps whisking out of the door herself and marching off to cressley common to meet her master and shock and scare him all she could and place her resignation as more distinguished functionaries sometimes do theirs in the hands of her employer to prove his helplessness and her own importance and so assert herself for time past and to come her interview with tom had not occupied much time she knocked at the vras door and entering found that person at the close of a greedy repast emotions of fear i suppose disturbed the appetite much more than others not caring one farthing about charles she did not grieve at his infidelity taking profligacy for granted as the rule of life it did not even shock her but she was stung with a furious pang of jealousy but that needs no love being in its essence the sense of property invaded supremacy insulted and self-despised in this sort of jealousy there is neither the sublimity of despair nor the pathos of sorrow but simply the malice fury and revenge of outraged egotism there she sat unconscious of the glimmer of the firelight feeding as a beast will bleeding after a blow beast she was with the bestial faculty of cherishing a long revenge with bestial treachery and seeming unconcern oh oh you've come back she cried with playful reproach cruel old girl you leave your poor vra alone alone among the ghosts now sit down are you sitting and tell me everything and all the news did you bring a little brandy or what her open hand was extended and gently moving over the tray at about the level of the top of a bottle no ma'am i haven't none in my charge but there's a smell of brandy about said mildred who liked saying a disagreeable thing so there ought said the gaunt woman placidly and lifted a big black bottle that lay in her lap like a baby folded in a gray shawl but i'll want this don't you see when i'm on my rambles again get a little there's a good girl or if you can't get that there's rum or gin there never was a country house without something in it you know very well where harry verveild is there will be liquor i know him well but he bain't here now as is well known to you ma'am said mildred dryly i'm not going to waste my drink while i think there's a drink in the house who has a right before me old girl said the stranger grimly tut ma'am tis childish talking so there's none in my charge never a drop master harry i dare say has summat under lock and key but not me and why should i tell you a lie about the like you never tell lies old mildred i forgot that but young as she is i lay my life the woman mrs harry verveild upstairs 
likes a nip now and then, hey? And she has a bottle, I'll be bound, in her wardrobe. Or if she's shy, twixt her bed and her mattress, old rogue. You know very well, I think. Does she? And if she likes it, she sleeps sound. And go you, and while she snores, borrow you the bottle. She's nothing of the sort. She drinks nothing nowhere, much less in her bedroom. She's a perfect lady, said Mrs. Tarnley, in no mood to flatter her companion. Oh, ho, that's so like old Mildred Tarnley. Dear old cat, I'm so amused. I could stroke her thin ribs and pet her for making me laugh so by her frisks and capers instead of throwing you by the neck out of the window for scratching and spitting. I'm so good-natured. Do you tell lies, Mildred? I had told a shameful lot in my day, ma'am, but not more mayhap than many a one that hasn't grace to say so. You read your Bible, Mildred? said the lady, who with a knife and fork was securing on her plate the morsels to which old Mildred helped her. Ay, ma'am, a bit now, and a bit again. Never too late to repent, ma'am. Repentance and grace. You'll do, Mrs. Tarnley. It's a pleasure to hear you, said the lady with her mouth rather full. And you never see my husband? Now and again, now and again, once in a way he looks in. Never stays a week or a month at a time? Week or a month, echoed Mrs. Tarnley, looking quickly in the serene face of the lady, and then laughing off the suggestion scornfully. You're thinking of old times, ma'am. Thinking? Thinking? I don't think I was thinking at all, said the lady answering Mildred's laugh, with one more careless, old times, when he had a wife here, eh? Old times. How old are they? Eh, that's eighteen years ago. You hardly knew me when I called here. There was a change, surely. I'd like to know who wouldn't in eighteen years. There's a change in me since then. I shouldn't wonder, said the lady quietly. Did he ever tell you how we quarreled? Not he, answered Mildred. He's very close, said the stranger. A deal closer than Mr. Harry, acquiesced Mildred. Not like you and me, Mrs. Tarnley. They can't keep a secret, never. They tell truth and shame the devil. I, because I don't care a snap of my fingers for you or him or the Archbishop of Canterbury. And you, because you're all for grace and repentance. How am I looking tonight? Tired? Tired, to be sure. You ought to be in your bed, ma'am, an hour ago. You're as white as that plate, ma'am. White, are they? So they used to be long ago, said the visitor. The same set, ma'am? T'was a long set in my mother's time, though tis little better than a short set now, but I don't think there's more than three plates and the cracked butter-boat that had a stitch in it. You'll mind, although ye may have forgot, for I usen't to send it up to table. Only them three, and the butter-boat broke sense. 
and that butterboats wouldn't a brought three halfpence by auction, and twas that little slut downstairs that doesn't never do nothing right that knocked it off the shelf with her smashing. And I'm not looking well tonight, said this pallid woman. You'd be the better of a little blood to your cheeks. You're as white as paper, ma'am, answered Mildred. I never have any color now, they tell me. Always pale, pale, pale. But it isn't muddy. Taint what you call putty. Well, no. Ah, no. I knew that. No. And I'd rather be a little pale. I don't like your great coarse peony-faced women. It's seven years in May last since I lost my sight. Some people are persecuted, one curse after another, rank injustice. Why should I lose my sight that never did anything to signify? Not half what others have who enjoy health, wealth, rank, everything. Things are topsy-turvy a bit just now, but we'll see them righted yet. End of chapter 29 Recording by John Brandon